Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Guitar Talk. I'm your host, Jimmy Warren. We've got a great show in store for you. Now, before we get into it, in case you haven't subscribed uh, to Guitar Talk on Spotify, you can. It's $2.99 a month. You get exclusive content. You'll get episodes that you won't see or hear you know, through the normal podcast. You'll get behind the scenes and exclusive content and all kinds of great stuff. It's only $2.99. Just go to Spotify today in order to sign up. Now, two, Guitar Talk actually uh, puts on the Illinois Guitar and Gear Expo. Uh, the next show is Sunday, March 10th, uh, 2024 at the Kankakee County Fairgrounds in Kankakee, Illinois, about an hour south of Chicago. I'm bringing it up so that you can mark it on your calendar because if you live in that region, you're going to want to come. Now, the buy-sell trade show is vendors from all over the country to sell, buy, and trade new, used, uh, boutique, custom, and vintage uh, guitar gear. You can get basses and amps and pedals and straps and cords and all kinds of really cool stuff. There are some great vendors there this year. Newman Guitars, Sloan Amplifiers, Burke Guitars, uh, Greenville Pickups, and on and on and on. There's a lot. And uh, this year, we have some really amazing guitar players, uh, friends of our show, that are going to come for meet and greet so that you can come and meet them, hang out with them, ask them questions, get autographs, all that good, all that good kind of stuff. Uh, this year, Andy Timmons is going to be at the show, and uh, Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters is scheduled, along as his touring schedule lines up. That'll be really cool. Chuck Wendler, formerly the guitarist of Blacktop Mojo, will be there. Steve Jewell Jr. from Blackstone Cherry will be there if his schedule lines up, but he's tentative as of right now. It's going to be a great show. It's the perfect place if you got a guitar or an amp or a bass or any kind of gear that you want to sell or trade, this is the place to do it. There's going to be some really cool stuff there. If you want information on it, it is at uh, IllinoisGuitarExpo.com. Uh, it's only $10 to get in. The show goes from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. on that day. There's food trucks and coffee trucks and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff there. It's going to be really, really cool. I'll be there, of course, uh, at the Guitar Talk booth along with Andy and many others. And uh, it's just going to be a great, great show. So we hope to see you there. Now, with that said, we're going to lead right into today's show. This episode is an episode I've been waiting for for a long time. Uh, Doug Aldridge, you might know him from Whitesnake, The Dead Daisies with Glenn Hughes or Lion. He's a great player, uh, super, super great guitarist, really nice guy. I've wanted to have him on the show now for a couple of years. And we got fortunate, you know, and it lined up, the stars aligned it, and here we are, aligned it. They aligned it, and here we are. And so uh, Doug is my guest today. So do yourself a favor, sit down, put your feet up, get a nice cool beverage, and enjoy this conversation with the one and only Doug Aldrich, right here on Guitar Talk. All right, cool, man. I appreciate you doing this. You know, you guys are on break now, aren't you? You just did your last gig Sunday. Yeah, we we're on break. We um, we had three weeks, I guess, something like that. And um, yeah, we're we're home. I got home a couple of days ago, so I'm just getting back into uh, 
home life and you know studio i gotta clean the studio and do all that stuff right 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 well i appreciate you fitting me in in that so I, i'm looking at your your room of course because you know i i love gear and one of the things that i see in the back of course is your black star uh, head there i gotta yeah. ask you you know are are you a real fan of black star i mean is it something that you know yeah. I know a lot of guys i'm are. actually i was actually very pleasantly surprised and blown away of course i've been a fan of black star i mean they've been around since for a while 20, like in the two th early 2000s they i'm sure they they you know been working on it behind the scenes before that and uh it's some uh it's some of my friends from uh you know from england that that asked me in the very beginning you know would i would i want to you know join up with them and i was pretty tight at that moment you know i was really tight with um jim marshall and he had been and he and some of the guys have been really you know supporting me and i was in the middle of white snake world and i just didn't want to make a big change we were at we had, our whole back line was marshall and everything but i really was impressed with black star and periodically when they had, there'd be one in the shop i'd be visiting and i'd go play through it and be like whoa that's cool and then a lot of bands started using this stuff and um and then i really kind of wasn't on the map in terms of you know what was going on with black star and then um last year i started seeing some clips of people online doing some stuff with them and i was like wow that's very cool um and then the dead daisies were getting ready to do stuff this year touring we're, we're still in the middle of it we got a lot left to do um and so we had a rehearsal and they sent a whole range of amps different things that they had from saint james to the ht stage series and um I was okay, froze. I'm wondering if you're in Laurel Canyon. That's this yeah, you're froze up on me. Uh, he's gone. And like that, he's gone. Ah. I'm just getting the lowdown on Black Star. <laughs> so it's obvious that the black star just blew up the zoom yeah yeah <laughs> i'm wondering are you in laurel canyon no i'm in sherman oaks oh okay all right yeah. all right yeah so um now the uh, but yeah i was blown away by it so we're we're using the black star ht stage 100 with el34s mark three the brand new one and um it's killer man I, it's three channels i'm only live i'm only using two of them just because i still i'm old school to where i use my volume a lot and roll down to get cleaner stuff right um but yeah i, I i'm very impressed with black star and of course i 
I'm still friends with the Marshall guys. They're all great guys and everything. But the Dead Daisies has got this connection with Black Star, and I'm I'm really into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was weird. I, you know, I've been familiar with them for for a while, of course, and uh, I'm good friends with Jared James Nichols. You know, who's yeah. who's with Black Star. Yep. And he came, I do a guitar show, like a buy-sell trade show in the Chicago region every year. And last year he came for a meet and greet and he brought his original one. And I was absolutely blown away by how good it sounded for just a 20 watt, 30 watt little, you know, that he could carry, you know, cause he's a massive guy, you know, carry with one hand. And, but man, it sounded so good. Yeah. You know, so well, you they always to, sound good, though. You know, I don't they, think they, it matters what amp you play; you're going to sound great regardless. I mean, that's what people say. It's it's definitely in your fingers and in your heart. You know how you play, what your you know your you, the, the things that, that you appeal that appeal to you are what makes up your style and everything. And um, you know, for me, I'm not. I I, I you know my whole style came about starting in the 70s listening to you know jeff beck and jimmy page and clapton stuff that was on the radio you know later guys like stevie ray came out and even later you know from when i started van halen and randy rhodes came out and gary moore when i discovered gary moore it was like i i just that was like amazing yeah. but um yeah so after a while i you know and learning by ear and playing by my what what felt good to me and learning licks that i could do i would emulate a little bit of some of my influences but my style just kind of developed into its own thing by itself basically because i couldn't play like anybody else i couldn't play like randy rhodes or eddie or stevie ray vaughn or tony iomi i had to just always emulate it my way so I, naturally when you do that you gravitate towards certain techniques certain um things that you do and that becomes your style. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, and, and I would think that that would be the best way to go. I mean, it's okay. Wouldn't you say it's okay to to take a little bit from the people that are your heroes, if if I could use that word, in that. But in the end, if you're not your own player, if you're not an original person, I mean, isn't it hard to to? I think it gets. I think it gets. It naturally happens. Because Jimmy, we all have so many influences that we love. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe there there are some people that they just go, okay, that's it. Eddie Van Halen is the guy. That's it. That's all I care about. That's all I want to learn. Okay. Nobody else matters. And if I only study Eddie, of course, I'm going to sound like more like Eddie. But when you start mixing in, okay, oh wow, how does Gary Moore bend and the tone of the front pickup, that woman sound, and and Paul Kossoff, his vibrato. You know, oh, that's kind of similar to Angus Young, but Angus does this. And you start blending all these things that you like and you're emulating them, trying to do them. And naturally, you're going to get your own, you know, your own thing. Like for, for an example, I don't know if, can you hear this? Uh, not really. It's, not really. it's okay. kind of garb. Well, anyway, there, there's certain techniques. I'd love to hear it. Believe me. There's certain techniques that I would that I do these little groups of six that like it just started off going like and then deciding okay I'm going to try and move that around a little bit so and then maybe using my third finger instead 
Right. So there's just little things that I, over the years that I started to do and experiment with, and I f fall back on those while I'm still trying to learn new things as well. But, but th that's a combination of a Gary Moore and a Van Halen and a, with a butt flip flat five, maybe that's uh, Gary Moore or Stevie Ray. I don't know. So it all, it's all just what feels and sounds good to you. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think in the end, back to your original point, it's good to have a lot of influences and naturally your voice through your hands and, and music will come out. Yeah. Now, even the, even though, man, you're known for, for being in the world of rock. I mean, you've played in some of the, you know, what I would consider some of the best rock bands that, that there's been And that. Would you say that you take your, your influences though, from outside of that genre as well? I mean, do you listen to like, you know, violin players or horn players, or, I mean, do you take stuff from that too? I, I listen to that. To, to be honest, I know what you're talking about. I mean, back in the, in the nineties and stuff and stuff started to become popular in LA, like, like the jazz guys, like the, um, like Miles Davis, you know, it was the first time I really, I'd heard the name Miles Davis, but it wasn't until the early nineties that I, you know, people were going, Oh man, you got to check out, you know, I guess it's kind of blue is his biggest, most famous album. And, and then, you know, you hear those things and you kind of dive deeper. There's a lot of different um, horn players and sax players and piano players where it's, I would say that it was not as much of a direct influence. It was more of an enjoyable thing where I would listen to it and go, wow, this is cool, man. I dig the vibe, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it rubs off on you if you listen to something enough times. Um, Certainly, you know, violin players are, are a big thing. I didn't listen to Paganini as a trying to study his style or anything. I, I heard about him. I listened to him and then I was like, well, Ingbe's kind of got that covered. He, it sounds cool what Ingbe's doing. Yeah. I maybe would hear some things. Like, I don't think, I think one of the first times I heard the diminished scale was Randy Rhodes and or maybe Richie Blackmore. I'm not sure, but probably the way it was more generalized towards metal was Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes got that from classical somewhere, probably. But um, yeah, to answer your question, I mostly listen to, to classical music for enjoyment and for the feeling and the of you know the, the crescendos and the the, mo the emotion of it, you know. Um, and same thing with jazz. It was just like a feel thing, you know, like, oh, man, that's slick. And like, oh, those notes don't sound exactly like uh, they're in the scale, but it's really cool as a passing tone. Right. So little things would come out. Maybe I've got a few little, you know, I would call myself kind of like I do what I do. It's it's only a few tricks. You know, I'm like a one trick pony. Maybe I got a few tricks, but, but then I'll stick in like a chromatic thing in one of those things and then all of a sudden it's one more one more lick i got yeah yeah well, well you're a solid solid player and so i wonder what are some of the things you know doug that you did when you were developing yourself you know when you were in that process of becoming who you are now what are some of the things that you did that you know you can look back at now and go well 
I'm who I am today because of, of these things. Well, I, I really started off as a rhythm guitar player in the bands that I was in when I was a kid. And so I, I didn't try, I wasn't necessarily trying to, to, um, I didn't know how to play solos and stuff. And my, and my intonation was a little bit, you know, in the beginning, you gotta, you gotta, you know, hear it. You gotta be able to hear that the intonation maybe isn't quite in. And I didn't know it, but, but, um, it's just, I could tell now that, that there was some things I need to work on, but primarily I was playing rhythm guitar. I really still, I love a great rhythm track, you know, of course the solo is great or the licks in between are great. Of course it is. But back to Paul Kossoff, I mean, the, the rhythm track of, of all right now, or one of those songs is just as important the way it's played and, and the feel of it. It sets the whole tone, the whole bed up for the top line, which is the vocal or the solo later on. So I spent a lot of time playing rhythm and I really liked it. I remember one of the first things when I learned a bar chord was playing to Bachman Turner Overdrive. They had the song Taking Care of Business. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that rhythm. Turns out that's a blues, blues based, you know, rhythm thing. Um, but on the radio, I wasn't hearing B.B. King or, or, or Chuck Berry. I was hearing Bachman Turner Overdrive was on this radio in the 70s. And then later when, you know, I'd go to concerts when I was a kid and I'd be like, I didn't really decipher between rhythm and lead too much. It was more like just being a guitar player. But later when seeing guys like Eddie Van Halen came out, that was like, you know, it was like when tech lead techniques became so like, of course you had lead great lead players from Blackmore and like I said, Clapton and Beck. I love Jeff Beck, but I couldn't play like that in the beginning. I just did. I just enjoyed it so much. And then little by little, I started to learn some things off him. But I think rhythm playing is is definitely important. And laying, being able to play a groove, not just with a drum machine, but with a drummer, you know, it's important for, for kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I think sometimes people, uh, you know, put too much emphasis on what we call the solo, you know, or, or you know, the fills and stuff like that. And you know, a lot of people will, that's what they want to do to the fault to where they don't learn rhythm the way that they really should. You know what I mean? Like keeping time and, you know, and working, you know, with the structure of a band as opposed to just doing your own thing in there. Because I think you learn later on in life that it's really about the song. And yeah. It's not about well, the it's about, technically speaking too, like guitar, us guitar players, especially rock guys, I wouldn't say somebody like I would say somebody like um, you know Joe Bonamassa or or um, Jared James Nichols or some of these newer guys that are just killing. Well, you know Jared's been around for a little bit, but Joe's been around for a long time. But a lot of these guys, they're they're just really they got a great pocket, you know, just naturally. But prior to that, when I came up in the seventies and eighties, guitar players kind of rushed. A lot you know like and so i still have to like i'm in the studio and i i'm jamming with the drums and recording the drums and we get the drum track and then i'm going to go in and replace my guitar and instead of you know pushing 
the track. I want to sink into the track. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's spots where you want to push it a little bit or it naturally pushes, but I still want to make sure when I play it, it feels one way. When I listen to it, it's like, oh, I can hear I'm, on, I'm a little on top of the beat. And that's, that's like a, it's a remnant maybe of the 80s, I guess. I don't know. But I think identifying that there is a pocket there and that if you lay back, you get this sort of feel. And if you push it, you get this sort of feel. And it's, it's all good. It's just a matter of what's best for the song, like you said. And then the solo stuff on top of it, same thing. I mean, it's, it, when you, there are certain licks, like I would hear a guy like Randy Rhodes or Gary Moore, and they'd be right on the edge, pushing the, the fill so that it, it, it's got this excitement to it. And then it would kind of suck back into the rhythm. But then you, you got guys like Steve Ray Vaughn where it's just on the back end. It's just greasy, you know? So there, it, it, it depends on what style of music you're doing and, and what you feel like sounds best for the song. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because when I'm playing, I feel like I'm playing a certain way. When I listen back to it, could be a little different. Could be I'm laying back too much or I'm too far ahead. So it's it's kind of interesting. I haven't figured it out yet. And I'm, you know, I ain't a spring chicken anymore, but right. I'm still it's, learning, trying to figure it out. Yeah. So, so you know, when you look at, like, let's say your history, you know, the, the people that you've been with and the things that you've done. And so it, it makes me wonder with the things that you're saying now, you know, what does what does it take in order to to fill those kinds of shoes to get those kinds of opportunities as a player it's a good question first of all of course you you must put the time in and practice and and it's incredible how um when you're in your teens and 20s you can be so dedicated and get a lot accomplished during that time you can really get your your chops together you can really get everything together even you know there's a lot of guys who are in, in those younger years and they're, they're writing really killer stuff whether it's blues or rock or pop or whatever you know going to college for music and they're, they're learning a lot and they've got they've got they, they've put the time in you know maybe it's been ten thousand hours they put it who knows what it is but they've put the time in and they're really good and that's very important but there is the next thing that is super important. And I'm glad you brought it up is, you know, to be able to have social skills to hang out with various different types of people, because as, as you start to play with other musicians, you know, if you can hang out together and you can have a conversation together and feel comfortable, you know, around that person, you're going to, it's very important. I mean, even if the musicians that you're playing with maybe are a little different than what you might have expected you would want or maybe whatever, but you get along great, that's just almost as valuable Mm -hmm. to me. And so I've been really lucky that somehow I was in in situations where I was around a lot of different types of people and, you know, trying to be humble, not being cocky, not being late, you know, these are all things that are important when you're trying to get a gig. If you're if you're coming later, say an opportunity opportunity comes up and you're going to take over guitar for somebody else, you know, you got to up the game from where they were somehow. And because, like, if you if you get a 
as an example, a real life example. Say I'm working right now and I'm on a budget. We've got a flight we got to catch, and uh, we're supposed to meet at my house at 10 a.m. If you if you're not there by 9:45 or 9:30 or whatever, it starts to become stressful, and then it's like you know starting to have to text and like where are you at, and it's it's and then I'm thinking about the traffic and all this stuff, and it becomes a so okay one time that happens okay fine but if it becomes a pattern that's not a musician that i really want to work with because it's a it's extra work you know it's not it's, you just want it to be easy yeah same thing when you're working with uh a guy you know a, a famous guy that, like for example when i worked with dio you know i just made sure to not be late and not and not be too you know just to just to, to blend in and to and to you know to be able to communicate and talk and not be nervous around him and and once he's comfortable i'm comfortable then we can bring the best out of each other so it's the hangout factor is very important yeah. not not just how great a guitar player or musician you are it's you got to be comfortable around people and you got to be respectful and that's why a guy like jerry james nichols is so great because He's got, he's put the time in, he's, he's the real deal, but he's also like a super nice guy and he can hang out. You can drink a beer with him or you can have a coffee. You can talk about whatever you want. He's always going to be on time. He's the guy that will, you know, I've been on the road with Jared. He's the guy that like will help with extra luggage or something. We're like, I used to go on stage and help those guys load in. And then one time I had borrowed a guitar and it got left in a city about two miles away, uh, sorry, two hours away. And Jared offered, he came to me and he goes, hey, man, I'll go get that guitar for you. I got the truck. I'll go get it. And he drove four hours before his gig to go pick up a, a Les Paul that had accidentally gotten left behind. So these are things I was like, okay, it's a cool guy. And that means I want to do whatever I can do to help him. So the hangout factor is very important. And being confident and kind, you know, you got to have an edge, but you got to be able to to be, you know, have people be able to relate to you. Yeah. You know, I've heard, I've heard uh, some people, I heard Alice Cooper one time say that, you know, he'd prefer to work with somebody that he got along with or somebody that was, you know, nice and, you know, easy to be around as opposed to the best player in the world. You know? Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I mean, look, man, there's always somebody better than, than you, but if you can, if you can just try to improve and do the best you can and also be easy and a nice person, yeah. it goes a long way. People don't forget that. They really remember that because there's so many people that they spend those thousands of hours putting in the time, but then they don't really know how to, you know, they don't realize, you know, there's, there's stories of famous musicians that would, that would come to Los Angeles in the eighties and, and expect people to just drop what they were doing and make sure they had food when they needed it and to carry their amps. And they just, it's, it's, you know, some people can get away with that, but it's just, it's, it's nice to make it easy. It's, yeah. it's a very good, it's a very good thing, not just for musicians, but for life, you know, mm -hmm. be on time, be nice, work your ass off, be humble. I love that. Um, Anita Strauss, 
she said, has that shirt that says be humble or be humbled. And I, <laughs> I tell that to my son, like, you know, he's, he's into sports and I'm like, dude, you are, you are badass, but you got to be humble. I want you to put the hours in. You look at guys. Well, I mean, it's different with sports because some of those guys, they put the hours in and they have to be fierce, but they, when you're on a tour bus with somebody traveling around touring and you're in this tube together, you got to be able to hang out together and be cool. So yeah, Alice Cooper, that's a perfect example. He's not going to have some guy that's always late. That's a pain in the ass. You don't need it. You know, the road is hard enough. I did a, uh, I did a, uh, a special show on the business of being in a band and, and my, my topic was around not being an asshole. Right. Because I've done, I've done over 500 interviews on this podcast with, I mean, in my opinion, just the most amazing guitar players in the world. And out of all of them, I've only had three where I haven't released the interview simply because they were, they were an ass. I mean, they were complete assholes. And, and I got, and the reason I say that is, is because most people like yourself and that I meet and that I know, and that I've been around in this industry are genuinely nice people that are uh, appreciative of the opportunity and care about what they're involved in, as opposed to, you know, well, I'm the guitarist for Dio. So you gotta, you know, you gotta, you know, treat me a little bit differently in that. And, uh, you know, it is, it's nice to always to run into somebody in the industry or in this business that, you know, you can tell is just a genuinely good person. And you come across that way, you well, know, which hats off to you for that. Because Thanks, man. I, I, I mean it because, you know, also, yeah because I got kids, so I'm trying to set an example. I don't want to set the wrong example for kids. And um, I probably, listen, you, you, you can only imagine, you know, I've probably had my bad days too, you know, where you try to, you're trying to have it go right and it's just getting messed up and you're in a bad mood and it's like you're tired. But um, you learn from those experiences and realize what's really important. And like you said, the opportunity to play music, the opportunity that God given, you know, that you're able to actually play and squeeze out some notes and music that maybe some people like it, or hopefully at least you like it. That's a huge, that's a huge blessing and something to be thankful for. And, and like, you know, for guys like us, for me and you and all the guys that, that we grew up listening to, it's a, it's so cool that we, you know, that you get to create something that you, that you're playing a musical instrument and creating some music that could make somebody happy or it's just awesome. It feels great. You know, it, it's a, it's a really lucky thing. I'll tell you if it was, you know, you've heard this probably a million times, but if it wasn't for music, who knows where we would be, but right. it's true because there's so many kids that don't have, that don't know how to play an instrument, never learned it, don't know what it feels like. There today, kids are you know got so many distractions, so it's a little bit harder to find those those people that are that are playing music. But they're out there. There's some younger guys that are really kicking ass. Um, you know, you know this guy Arthur Menen. I don't, I can't pronounce his last name, but it's like kind of like Menenes, Art Menenes. Uh-huh. He, he's on Instagram and 
and online, but he's also a real artist. He plays gigs with, you know, and he's just like a young dude that is just killer. Um, like yeah. Jared, you know, like yeah. um, a bunch of other guys like that. But yeah. I think um, the bottom line is, is we're really lucky to have music. I Being, you know, an older musician now, I, I just, you hit an age and you go like, what happened? You know, <laughs> where, where'd all these years? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I still feel like I'm 18 when I'm talking to you. Like I'm talking about like when I first learned how to play a Bachman Turner overdrive rhythm because it still is in my memory and I love it, you know. Yeah. Let me ask you, you mentioned you mentioned a couple of times about creating songs and that and uh it seems like a lot of times when a band is first starting out or an artist is first starting out in that it's more of uh, of a hobby. It's something that, you know, they want to do, they love to create. And so a lot of people tend to write their best stuff during those times, right? Like you look at most, most, most bands, not every band, but a lot of bands, their first few albums are usually the greatest albums that they create. Do you think that it's because of the pressure of the industry that that gets diminished a little bit because now it's about, timelines and profits and scheduling and things of that sort as opposed to just the the natural ability to to create you know well yeah and i i mean it used to be the old story was like you said the business would get in the way because you'd have your whole you'd have your whole teens and 20s to come up with this ripping album that's beautiful and perfect and then you it, you know, back in that, at that time, it's different now. I'll come to that. But back then you have this perfect album and then it was like the record company and you go on tour and you're playing and it's going great and everything's great and you're selling and po getting popular. But then it's like the record company goes, okay, we need a new record. We need another record. And you got like, you know, got like three weeks to record it and we're going to start in like one month. So you got one month to come up with an album that's, technically hopefully better than your first album that you had your whole life to come up with. Yeah. So there's, there was that pressure that happened to a lot of bands and it's interesting watching certain bands navigate through that and make it through and other bands couldn't, mm -hmm. but um, you know, the greats always somehow find a way to do that. And then, you know, speaking for myself, I, I definitely, um, you know, we had time in the beginning to do that. There came a period where things did get a little more pressure because I was trying to live and work and make money and eat and pay rent and do stuff. And so the record company had the power and they would tell you like, we we really want this type of a sound like your your last album. And you're going, well, I know, but, but there's, you know, there's some new music coming out. I, I want to, you know, experiment. I'm excited about it. I want to experiment with that. And it's like, so you, it would, it was a little bit of a dampening on your excitement. So you'd have to go, okay, well, they want this or they want that, or they would go like, you know, in the eighties, obviously you had to have songs trying to get on the radio or MTV or whatever. So like there was parameters It had to be a certain amount of time. And it just took away from the, the beauty of the creation in the beginning. And I think it's come back full circle because everybody's doing what they want now. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole beautiful opportunity with 
social media and YouTube, especially, and and Facebook and Instagram, all this stuff where people can get their music out there and and get to hundreds and thousands and millions of people, you know, uh, if it's good. And and you know, it's different now where people maybe don't have to do a whole album every year. You can do like an album and then you can do a few singles for a while. And, and then for me personally, as, as a songwriter, I was, I was not a schooled musician. There is a, there is a, obviously, you know, this stuff, Jimmy, is that there are rules and, and things that have been proven to work in songwriting, not rules, but things that, that are proven to work. And there's a way to identify any musical progression. But at, for me being a self-taught musician, I would just go by, I want to hear a riff that like, that gets me off and, and then it, I want the chorus to lift or I want it to come down or whatever. And I would kind of, so I learned a different way to do it, but there was a period where I felt like I really didn't know how to, to come up with what I wanted. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted. As years go on, I started to realize like, it's, it's not, you don't have to just have, come up with a song in one way. It doesn't have to be from the guitar. It can be from a drum beat or it can be from a melody that inspires you. And then you build something around that. And sometimes the, the, the inspiration has nothing to do with rock guitar, but eventually you end up putting a guitar in it and the guitar becomes important again. But the inspiration was, was a melody or something like that. So I've had to take all this time in my life to finally learn that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so right now you're on break. I, I don't want to take up, you know, any more of your time and that you've been really gracious, but you guys go to Europe in November. Is that correct? Yeah, we have, we started, we have uh, a little time off. I'm going to Germany actually um, for a guitar summit coming up soon, uh, doing a thing with black star and it's a trade show type of thing. And it's funny yeah. because, you know, I, I used to always go to the NAMM show. And then later when I was in Whitesnake, I would always go to a music messa in Germany. And it was like a big thing. And you're talking to people, meeting people, shaking hands and doing, you know, hanging out at the booths, playing, demoing the gear and all that stuff. And I haven't done that for a long time. So I'm a little bit nervous, you know, about like, what's it going to be like at a trade show? I forgot how it's like a hard work, you know? Yeah. But I'm excited about it too. But um, then we have, a lot of October off. And then we start in Japan at the end of October. We're really excited about going back to Japan together. We haven't been there for five years because obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then we go to Europe for three weeks. We have a little break before December. And then we go back again to Europe all the way up to just about, you know, the holiday season. Yeah. Wow. That's going to be great. Well, I do host uh, a guitar show a buy sell trade show and i do have people like you come to it you know for meet and greets and so maybe i'll reach out to your publicist and if you're free when that comes on you know maybe that's something that you'd like to come out and shake some I, I would love to man I, yeah. I mean it's a whole thing i mean the good thing about those guitar shows is you get a chance to to meet a lot of people and say hi to people that you maybe want to meet or you want to meet you or whatever but you also get to see what's happening you know, with the guitar industry and equipment. Yeah. I yeah. recently had um, 
you know, obviously I'm working with Blackstar now and it's really been exciting and their, their technology and their R&D is just insane what they're doing. I mean, you can't, I, I wish you could hear because I set up this rig in, so I, I got this Blackstar head going through it and it's using the speaker emulated output. It's an IR output. Uh, I'm not even using a cabinet and I can't tell you how killer it is. And like, uh, another company that just recently I've worked with for years, TC Electronics, sent me a couple of their new things. Um, Plethora 3, I believe it's called. It's like a three-in-one tone print pedal. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, whoa, this is like, I, this is insane, the technology. So yeah. trade shows are always good for that, to to check out new stuff and hear things. And then you start yeah. thinking about like, oh, man, trying to go to sleep at night, but I can't stop thinking about that fuzz box that i just heard you know <laughs> well you have to ask jared about it because when he was here last year a fan brought and gave him a 1960 some firebird i saw that yeah, yeah that was that's awesome yeah, i just gave it to him in that and well know. jared's jared's just you know people yeah he's such a good dude and, and he's so talented mm. that you know people are just want to be you know they yeah. want to be supportive of him, you know, and it's, and it's, it's the same with me when I meet somebody younger that, um, that I go, man, this, this guy's really got something and he's a good dude. I want to help him, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's plant, paying it forward. Yeah. That's really good. You know, because I don't know how much of that actually really goes on in the industry today. Cause I can tell you when I started, I'm, I'm in the Chicago area. And I played with a lot of the historic blues people, Otis Rush and uh, Junior Wells and Sun Seals and Buddy Guy that's, and back that in, is the, incredible. back in the late 80s and stuff. And But back then, those guys would invite you wherever they were. I mean, I, I played with uh, I played with Buddy Miles for a little bit. Oh, my and, God. And, and I got that gig because I went to a birthday party for Tyrone Davis that some other blues guy, it was Buddy Scott, invited me to and these guys used to do that all the time they if they liked you if you were respectful to them and stuff they would yeah. invite you to come sit in all over the place and introduce you to people and the early days of 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 jamming with chaka khan and buddy miles and all these people all came through these guys in chicago who were just you know in chicago at the time but they were that's, always that, that's amazing other people uh, that's that's the Chicago scene. I'm so it's yeah. so cool that you got to to play with all those people and you know that's I I would say for for younger players you know that there is that scene happening now and and you know that's where you can really you can really have a lot of great make a lot of great contacts and mm-hmm. put yourself out there as much as possible. As you get older, as you get into a serious relationship, and, and then eventually, if you get kids involved, it's a lot harder to do that stuff. Yeah, but um, it's it's very important, and it's so good for you, you know, for your for your soul, for your musical soul, to have had those experiences that you had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to have to have somebody that you really admire, really look up to, somebody that you know, really has some historic value to who they are as a player and stuff to have them invest in you in any way, shape or form or acknowledge you is, 
is is a huge boost to anybody. I would, you know, I know I know it was to me. And it, you know, it's sad for me to look at the Chicago blues scene now, even though I'm not in it, but to look at it now and say it's nothing like that anymore. You know, that's pretty much gone to the wayside in in that world. In that, and a lot of people definitely change. Get, we, it, it, say, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to hang out with with a guy like yourself and get to know you, or or to have you, you know, maybe invest in them. However. I mean, those those are those are rare occurrences anymore. It seems like. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So trade shows are a good. I'm glad, grateful, and glad that they're still out there. That you're doing your thing, and I would love to come visit. Um, yeah. You know, time. The difference is right now. It's so like, I wake up. I I, I'm look at my guitar. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to go in the studio and and see what I come up with, or maybe I've got something I put on my phone and I want to get it down i want to get it you know on to start developing it seeing where it goes and then all of a sudden my daughter comes out and goes dad <laughs> i was just like <laughs> okay okay you know right. and it's a different thing so but yeah maybe i bring my daughter and son with me yeah uh, i, I had, experience for them i had five kids and i toured 200 plus days a year up till 13 Wow, you know, in that I mean, nowhere near at the level that it, that you're at. You know, mostly you know just clubs, just small clubs and stuff. But it was That's... it was very difficult raising kids, and and so we homeschooled our kids simply because we could all be together. You know, because it was so that's hard. pretty amazing, and that's. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation, my friend. <laughs> Homeschooling. There's yeah. a. I, I never knew schools could be, it could be so complicated, but um, finding the right fit for school. But speaking of schools, um, you know, I was talking to, uh, just I'll wrap it up. Brian Tishy went to Berkeley College of Music and he's a guy, the drummer for, for the Dead Daisies and he's played mm -hmm. with Ozzy and Foreigner and right. um, Billy Idol. And now he plays with um, Don Felder periodically. And he is like a well-trained and schooled musician. And um, I think about, you know, I didn't know that I, I didn't have that opportunity to do that, but that would be pretty cool to, you know, for, for some of the, the young guys that are, you know, not still in school to maybe look into that. Cause it, cause you know, there's always going to be, there's always going to be uh, a need for people to perform live music and uh, on concert on, on stage and whatever. And so school is very important. That was what my point was go to music school. It's even more fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Doug, I appreciate the time that you've given me and that it was an honor to be able to spend a little time with you. And I wish you and your family and the band all the best. I really do. Thanks, brother Jimmy. I appreciate it. It's an honor to speak with you. And I really appreciate it. And for what you're doing for the guitar community and uh, all of your your fans and, and guitar heads and stuff. Thank you from us to you. I appreciate it. I do, Doug. And you take care. All right. See you guys. Yep. Thanks, bro. Bye. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Doug Aldridge and that conversation. I want to thank Doug so much for his participation. 
Uh, as you can tell by listening to this conversation, he is an encyclopedia of knowledge. When it comes to music, he is, as we all know, just a fabulous writer and guitar player. And so I want to thank him once again for uh, being on the show. Uh, next week, my guest is going to be Guy Pratt. In case you don't know, he's the bass player for a little band called Pink Floyd. He's also played with David Gilmore. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's been with a lot of, he was with Madonna, I, I believe Madonna. I, he was with a lot of uh, Robert Palmer, a lot of great bands, a lot of great, great stuff. An amazing player. He's going to be on the show next week. So do yourself a favor. Make sure you mark the calendar. Subscribe to us on Spotify. And until next week with my guest Guy Pratt, the bassist for Pink Floyd, I'm Jimmy Warren. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah.